You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. In a rarity over the last decade, this will not be the final Knicks game of the season. And uh, far too many times as a member of the broadcast team, I've been preparing for game number 82 and there is just kind of a finality and you're looking for storylines and you're looking for positives to have come out of a season. And oftentimes when that season doesn't result in a playoff appearance, there aren't a ton of positives, but you're looking for those to look forward to next year on what ultimately is the final broadcast of the season. And that's not the case this year. That's a very, very exciting prospect for, well, for me, for one, but for Knicks fans, more importantly, and the team itself as, yes, this is game number 82, but it's really just the beginning uh, for this team. And the playoffs will begin next weekend, either Saturday or Sunday. We should hopefully know the NBA playoff schedule by the end of today. Uh, once the regular season games are complete, and I believe they are all afternoon games. So once they're all done and the seedings are set and the matchups are locked in, uh, you would assume the NBA will release the postseason schedule. We already know the schedule for the play-in tournament, and that in itself is um, an accomplishment for the Knicks and really the Nets too, considering what they had to go through this season. But if you remember back to the preseason prognostications, the over-under numbers that are set for every NBA team. The Knicks' over-under number was in the 37 to 38 win range. And the general consensus among the quote-unquote experts who follow and cover the NBA was that a successful season for the Knicks this year would be one in which they got back into the play-in tournament. That would have been considered a successful season. And when the Knicks after getting blown out at home by the Dallas Mavericks on the 3rd of December in a matinee game in which they sleptwalked their way through the third quarter and were really run out of their own gym and were booed vociferously by the home crowd there that day. And they left the Garden that day with a record of 10-13. and 13. At that point, you thought, okay, well, maybe getting into the play-in tournament would be an accomplishment for this team. And just to see that the way that the season literally turned around on a dime the very next day, they came into the Garden, a back-to-back at home. The Cavaliers were home or in town to take on the Knicks. It was Donovan Mitchell's first appearance at Madison Square Garden since joining the Cavs. We know the backstory there. The Knicks were hot in pursuit of him in the offseason. Mitchell had his bags packed and ready to come to New York, wanted to come to New York. He's from New York. He grew up in Elmsford. He went to Greenwich Country Day School before going on to Louisville to star there. The Knicks had an opportunity to pick him in the 2017 draft. They picked Frank Nielakina instead. There were so many ties to Donovan Mitchell, and then this just added another layer in that it was the Cavaliers and not the Knicks who were able to pry Mitchell away from the Utah Jazz. But Mitchell was coming into the garden that night with the Knicks really at their low point of the season. And you just had a feeling. I was there and I remember thinking like Mitchell was going to come in here and prove a point and put on a show. And this could be the death knell for this version of the New York Knicks. But instead what happened that night, Tom Thibodeau completely changed the way he was coaching this team up until that point of the season. He took Derrick Rose out of the rotation and put him on the bench. He put Cam Reddish out of the rotation and put him on the bench. He put Deuce McBride into the rotation 
to get a little bit more defense. He tightened his rotation from a 10-man group to a 9-man group to give more time on the court to his starters, to his top players. The Knicks responded that night by holding Cleveland to 81 points in a victory. And really, ever since that day, and the Knicks were 10-13 and 13 at the start of that game, since then they have gone 37-21. and 21. That is nearly a 667 winning percentage pace. That is well above a 50-win pace over the course of an NBA regular season. And that's a large sample size, folks. That is more than half an NBA season. So I know that as we look forward to this playoff series against the Cavs, and here we go again, could it have gone any other way? Uh, Knicks-Cavs seem to be on a collision course with each other for like the last three, three and a half weeks. Here we are, we're less than a week out from that actually becoming a reality. It'll start next week and in Cleveland with game number one. But as you look ahead to this series, you just have a different feeling about this Knicks team than even you did two years ago when they were the number four seed and they were entering the playoffs against Atlanta. That was a different year. That year kind of came, coming out of nowhere is not the right word, because Randall was terrific that entire season. That year, they picked up Derrick Rose on Super Bowl Sunday in a trade with the Pistons, and that really changed their fortunes. You saw the development of R.J. Barrett throughout what then was his second season in the league, and they finished that year by winning 16 of their final 20 games. They had a nine-game winning streak late in the season. They took it all the way to the end by winning 16 of their final 20 they got the number four seed over Atlanta, over Boston, because of tiebreakers. And they just kind of caught lightning in a bottle, okay? That was a 20-game sample size in 2021 of the Knicks playing at a high level. This is a 60-game sample size of the Knicks being one of the best teams in the conference. And that, plus the depth of this team plus the fact that you have a player above Julius Randle who will be controlling the ball in late-game situations in Jalen Brunson, all of those factors contribute to giving this a different feel this time around. Now, Cleveland's a very good team, and I think the mistake a lot of people made two years ago was discounting what the Atlanta Hawks had beyond Trey Young. In that series, the Knicks were hurt by Bogdan Bogdanovich. They were hurt by John Collins. They were hurt by DeAndre Hunter. And they were really hurt by Trey Young. And most importantly, the Knicks were hurt in that series because outside of Derrick Rose, and at that point of the season, Derrick Rose at his age and with his injury history was kind of playing on fumes. Uh, but outside of Derrick Rose in that playoff series against Atlanta, everybody on the Knicks went cold. Randall underperformed compared to the regular season. Barrett underperformed compared to the regular season. Quickly, Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, everybody underperformed compared to the regular season. This Knicks team has so much more depth and so many more options. I mean, look, last year, R.J. Barrett turned into a 20-point-a-game scorer. He's still not the most efficient guy in the NBA. Uh, the other night against New Orleans, a good example of that. Barrett was 0 for 9 from downtown, but still finished with 28 points because when he puts his head down and takes the ball to the basket and drives the lane, he's very efficient. He just doesn't do that all the time. But the way that this Knicks team is constructed, it can withstand an off night from R.J. Barrett because you've got Brunson and you've got Quickly 
and now you have the emergence of Quentin Grimes. And now you have an inside presence in Mitchell Robinson who can be at least somewhat of a factor offensively in terms of running to the rim and offensive rebounds and putbacks. They didn't have Mitchell Robinson two years ago in the playoffs. They had Nerlens Noel starting at center two years ago in the playoffs. So that's a big addition as well. The big question, however, remains Julius Randle because we haven't heard an update on his sprained ankle since he went down in the Miami game nearly two weeks ago. The Knicks said he would be reevaluated two weeks after that. The date of that reevaluation would be this coming Thursday. I don't know if we'll hear anything before that. I know Tom Thibodeau will be asked about it today. He's been asked about it every single time he has met with the media since the Knicks officially ruled Julius Randle out. But that makes such a difference. That makes all the difference in this series. The Knicks with Randle at or close to 100% can absolutely beat the Cavaliers in a best-of-seven series. Absolutely. Do they still have a chance to do it if Randle doesn't play? Yes, they do. But... Cleveland would be a heavy, heavy favorite, and it would take a Herculean effort for the Knicks to do that without Julius Randle. The beauty of this Knicks team, as currently constructed, is this. You have a multitude of options. You have Jalen Brunson, a decision maker, a clutch player, a smart, competent, terrific point guard orchestrating the offense. If he's not getting it for himself, he is more than capable of setting up somebody else. You have Julius Randle, who from the day he set foot in New York, everybody knew, boy, if this guy could be our number two option instead of our number one, that really enhances the depth of our team. Now you have Emmanuel Quickly, one of the top two candidates for six man of the year. Quickly, over the last two weeks, is averaging 28 points per game in meaningful minutes in a starting role for the Knicks. You have Quentin Grimes over the last couple of weeks, averaging 22 points a game. You have Mitchell Robinson back in the middle. The Knicks have options, and the Knicks have answers. But Randall is the key here. Obi Toppin has done a really nice job filling in for Randall the last four games in a starting role. And I think Obi's confidence was a little shaken before he stepped back into that starting role. I think he's gotten his confidence back, and he's starting to do things that make him different and add an element to the Knicks bench unit. Getting out and running in transition on the fast break, and he has significantly improved his three-point shooting. So this Knicks team, compared to the one two years ago, has options. And I think a lot of Knicks fans were scarred by what happened in the playoffs two years ago. Look, it turned out that Knicks team, in a playoff setting, was not as good as the regular season final record indicated they should be. And a big reason for that is they caught fire at the end of the year and went 16-4 and to vault from out of the play-in tournament all the way up to the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. This Knicks team, it has been a steady, solid, consistent climb ever since they beat the Cavaliers on December 4th. That is two-thirds of the season. They have been one of the best teams, one of the best eight teams in the NBA over that stretch. They have one all-star, and they have a second guy who has certainly played at an all-star level and who is their most important player. They have Julius Randle, who will likely be an all-NBA player this season for the second time in his career. And they have Jalen Brunson, who will certainly be a candidate. I don't know if he's going to be on any of the three all-NBA teams. The biggest reason for that is if you look at who the candidates are, there is so much depth at the guard positions. 
You have Emmanuel Quickly, the leading candidate now for the sixth man of the year. You have Mitchell Robinson, who didn't play in the playoffs two years ago, knows his role, and defensively is the most important player on the Knicks. And another guy they didn't have two years ago was Quentin Grimes. This is a completely different team, offensively and defensively, and much better equipped to win a playoff series than it was two years ago. Now, the downside of that is, well, it's twofold. Number one, we talked about Randall's injury. That's a big, big question mark leading into this week off before the first playoff game. And number two, Cleveland's better than Atlanta was two years ago. Donovan Mitchell's better than Trey Young was. And the depth of their starting lineup. You have four guys who, I would say right now, three of them have already been all-stars. Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, and Darius Garland. And you have a fourth guy in Evan Mobley, who's in his second year in the NBA, almost won the Rookie of the Year last year. He'll probably be an all-star as well at some point. So it is a top-notch starting five. And I made this point yesterday, I'll say it again. Where the Knicks can and should and need to get the Cavs is off the bench. That's where the Knicks have their biggest advantage in this series. With Quickly and Josh Hart and Isaiah Hartenstein and Obi Toppin. The Knicks need to dominate the minutes in which their bench guys are out there on the floor against the Cavaliers bench guys because the Cleveland bench is not nearly as good or cohesive as the Knicks bench. And when you talk about keys to this series, two really, really big keys to the series for me are going to be quickly and are going to be Josh Hart. Because if the Knicks starters can play even against the Cavs starters, and I think they can with Julius Randle, and the Knicks win those bench minutes... The Knicks can win this series. They can absolutely win this series and advance beyond the first round for the first time in a decade. So I don't want to hear this talk, and I've heard a lot of it. Is this season a failure? It's very hard if the Knicks lose this series to Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs. It's very hard to consider this Knicks season a failure in any way, shape, or form because of everything that I just laid out. This was a team that in October, people said, hey, if they get into the play-in tournament, that'll be a successful season. Well, they didn't get into the play-in tournament. They bypassed the play-in tournament weeks ago. They are the number five seed, and they have a legitimate chance to beat a team in the first round that has three all-stars in its starting lineup. And it's going to be so much fun to follow. I think it's going to be a fantastic series. The anticipation and the buildup, it's already started. We've known this was going to be the matchup for weeks now. And one week from now, it becomes a reality. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. Love to hear from you this morning on anything and everything. Uh, we'll talk a lot about the basketball with the Knicks and the Nets wrapping up the regular season today and getting set for their playoff series next weekend. Yankees and Mets both won yesterday. Yankees in Baltimore get back on track. The Mets continue to beat up on the Miami Marlins. We're continuing to follow the final day of the Masters. They're still in round three, and we've got two of the biggest names in the sport in a mano-a-mano duel. Kepka and Rom. they're playing together now. They will be paired together for round four, which starts at 12.30. Kepka right now at 13 under par, and Rom is at 11 under par. Thoughts on all of that throughout the morning here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. I'll be with you until uh, this show ends at 12.30, and then we'll roll that into the Knicks pregame show at 12.30, Knicks and Pacers regular season finale. The number here is 1-800-919-3776. Now we got Ed Cohen and uh, Wally Zerbiak, I believe, calling the Knicks-Pacers game today. Take a look at the 
injury report for game number 82. And it looks like, obviously, Julius Randle remains out with the sprained left ankle. It looks like Tom Thibodeau is indeed going to hold Jalen Brunson out for the final game of the season. He is already listed as out on the Knicks injury report. Those are the only two players that are listed. Uh, R.J. Barrett came back on Friday night after missing the previous two games with an illness. Mitchell Robinson didn't play on Friday as they rested him, but neither of those names appear on the injury report. On the other side for Indiana, uh, they'll be without Tyrese Halliburton, their talented young all-star point guard who has missed a lot of time this season. Remember that Halliburton DeMontis Sabonis trade and how the Kings were raked over the coals for giving up on a young talent like Tyrese Halliburton? And he is that. He made an all-star team here in year number two, but he's hurt a lot. And the Pacers were actually in the mix midway through the season, and Halliburton went down and missed a significant amount of time, and they fell apart without him. And then he came back, they played a little bit better, but here at the end of the season, he's out again. Now the Nets-76ers matchup is interesting because they're playing each other next weekend. Brooklyn earned the number six seed in the Eastern Conference, and they will take on the third-seeded Philadelphia 76ers beginning next weekend. So you wondered how, you wondered how the coaches were going to handle this. Well, as expected, um, on the Nets side, Seth Curry is out, although he hasn't been much of a factor lately. Dorian Finney-Smith is out. Cam Johnson is out. Royce O'Neal is out. Here's one that's going to surprise a lot of people. Ben Simmons is out today for the Nets. Surprising that Ben Simmons isn't going to play today. Uh, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton, all listed as questionable. The one name you don't see on the injury list is Mikael Bridges. I'm sure Jacques Vaughn would love to rest his now star player. But if you know Bridges, he's never missed a game. Never. Didn't miss a game at Villanova. Has not missed a game yet in his entire NBA career. So obviously, Mikael Bridges is going to play today. Philadelphia, no Joel Embiid, no James Harden, no Tobias Harris, no Tyrese Maxey, no DeAnthony Melton, and no P.J. Tucker. So the 76ers are going without their top six players. Uh, as for the Knicks, look, they're locked into the number five. They have been since before they took the floor against this Pacers team on Wednesday night. They beat the Pacers. They went to New Orleans on Friday against a Pelicans team that needed the game to improve its playoff positioning in the Western Conference. And they found themselves in a dogfight against a Knicks team playing without three starters, Randall, Brunson, and Robinson. The Pelicans ultimately won that game 113-105. to but it wasn't due to lack of effort from the Knicks. And afterwards, Tom Thibodeau was asked about his mentality in these games that don't mean anything in terms of the standings. Well, everything means something. You know, either you're getting better or you're getting worse. You're not staying the same. So either you're building the right habits or you're not building the right habits. You can't pick and choose when you're going to do things. And so I think it's important to play the right way, respect the game. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, you know, we've got a, a number of guys that have played a, a significant amount of games. I'm proud of that. Uh, Isaiah will have a chance to play 82. Credit to him. But, you know, again, the, the, the important thing is to learn from this game and then to get ready for the last one. And then after the last one, then we can talk about the other stuff that's coming. Playing 82 games, a very big deal in today's climate of the NBA. Very, very few players do it. Very few players attempt to do it. 
but Isaiah Hartenstein will do it today in game number 82 in his first season as a Nick. And it's interesting, this is a guy who earlier in his career was not a full-time rotation player. He's gotten better each and every year. The Knicks signed him to a big free agent contract in the offseason. He was really the first free agent signing that they announced hours after the free agency period began. And today he will play in his 82nd game, something that Hartenstein is proud of. I did the right stuff to build the Achilles back up and then now play 82 games. It's something special, but you also got to think all the people around us, some training staff, strength coaches, and everybody, just making sure my body can hold those 82 games. In the latter half of the season, Hartenstein has been much better since his first few months with the Knicks. He's part of that bench group that's going to be so key in the first-round playoff series against the Cavaliers. So the Knicks and the Pacers coming up, uh, 12.30 pregame with me right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. We'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get to the phones, 1-800-919-3776. We'll shift the conversation a little bit as well. We'll touch on the Yankees and the Mets, what they did yesterday, and what they have coming up later today. We'll also continue to follow the Masters. Kepka two strokes ahead of John Rahm as the two leaders are actually seen on screen right now giggling and laughing with each other as they play the 11th hole in round three at Augusta. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Patrick Cantlay making a little bit of a run. If you heard uh, Anita Marks with me in the last hour, as I filled in for her on the tee with Anita Marks, she joined me as a guest on her own show. But she's been spot on so far. She liked the money line on John Rahm to win the tournament, which before play resumed today was plus 140. At the time, it was a a four-shot difference between Kepka and Rahm. It has now been trimmed to two. And she also liked you could take player to win outside of Rahm and Kepka. And uh, the two names she had were Colin Morikawa and uh, Patrick Cantlay, who is making a little bit of a run. Three birdies in his last four holes, and he's gotten to minus seven. So all indications are this is a two-horse race. Kepka's at minus 13. Rom's at minus 11. Cantlay is at minus 7. But just keep in mind, this isn't your typical conversation on a Masters Sunday because, yes, this is Masters Sunday, but we're still about midway through round number three. So there's more than 18 holes to play and more time for Cantlay to continue to close that gap. So something to keep an eye on. But either way, these are some of the biggest names in the sport on top of the leaderboard of the Masters on Sunday. It really is everything you could ask for, especially – at the end of a weekend that has been dominated by poor weather and uh, the unfortunate news this morning, although not that surprising, that Tiger Woods withdrew in the middle of the third round as he was nine over par and in 54th place of the 54 golfers remaining on the course. All right, let's take a look at the baseball. Yesterday, Yanks and Mets both win. Yankees get back on track. Four to one winners at Baltimore. They'll send Nestor Cortez to the mound today against Tyler Wells. Rubber match of the three-game series. Uh, Cortez, very good first start. One earned run allowed in five innings pitched, picking up where he left off last year when he was an all-star and the Yankees' most reliable starter throughout the season. Do the Yankees have something with this Johnny Brito, the rookie right-handed pitcher? Well, so far, so good. He's 2-0. and Yesterday, five innings pitched, three hits, one run allowed. He has allowed one earned run 
in his first 10 innings through his first two major league starts. This is a guy who was the eighth starter in the rotation coming out of spring training. But Carlos Rodon is hurt. Uh, Frankie Montaz obviously is out for a long time. And then the late news in spring that Luis Severino was headed back to the injured list. All of a sudden, that put Brito in the rotation, and he has come through with two gems in his first two starts. Now, we'll see how the Yankees handle him today because after his first start, he has options, and you know how the Yankees love to manipulate the numbers on the roster throughout the course of the season. Brito made his first start last Sunday against the Giants. Five shutout innings. The next day, he was sent down to AAA. They brought him back up to make the start yesterday. We'll see if they're going to continue to move him back and forth between the minors and the big club or if he has earned an extended stay here after what he did yesterday. He's been, if you look at the Yankees' rotation right now, um, Cole, Cortez, you expect those two to be there and add Brito in there. Cole has been brilliant. One earned run allowed in 12 and a third innings pitched. Brito, one earned run in 10 innings pitched. And Cortez, who makes his second start today, one earned run in five innings pitched. The other two starters, Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt, in a combined three starts, have allowed 11 earned runs in 11 and a third innings pitched. So right now, there is absolutely no question that Johnny Brito is the number three starter in this Yankees rotation. Uh, for the most part, they've gotten high-end starting, like I said, between Cole Brito and Cortez, Five very good starts in their first eight games of the season as the Yankees are 5-3. and three. If they win today, they would win their third consecutive series to begin the season, uh, beating the Giants and then the Phillies, and they have a chance to win this series in Baltimore against the upstart Orioles, who are much better this season, and they started to show that in the second half of last year when they were really in contention for one of the wild card spots up until the final couple of weeks of the regular season. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 1-800-919-3776. Let's start things off with Anthony in the mail truck. Anthony, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Pat. How we doing, my, my brother? I'm great, thanks. How you doing? Good, man. Uh, first of all, happy Easter. Um, uh, big, big shout-out to the company. Um, listen, I appreciate you taking me, uh, taking me through the workday today, um, you know, delivering packages out here, but you know, we do it for you guys, so I appreciate you. We appreciate you, um, Anthony. Now, of course. So, now getting to my you, – you just brought up a, a brilliant point. Um, to all the Yankee fans, stop with Garrett Cole. This guy is a horse. This guy is one of the most reliable pitchers in the major leagues. And he, you know, he, he, he toes the rubber every fifth day, no matter what. He had the most starts last year, the most innings last year. Um, and – you know what? He hasn't quote unquote lived up to the contract yet because we haven't gotten a championship. But all that aside, I feel like he is. I feel like he right now he's a top three pitcher in baseball, and that may be a stretch. Um, but what I really wanted to say, Pat, I, I really wanted to get your take on it because I said it to Joe Leo, and um, he had said, you know, I I don't really want to overreact um, this early in the season, but. You know, you got a point. Um, so my point is, last year, obviously, the Yankees started 52-18. and 18. If you can remember back to last year, you remember that no one was injured on our team at all in the first half of the season. Now, I'm not saying I want people to get injured so that we don't have the injury bug at the end of the season, but that's what we got hit with. We got DJ. We got Andrew uh, Benintendi. We got King. We got, 
you know, all these guys that, that were out for the rest of the season that really, really hurt our chances. Not saying that we would have beaten the Astros, but I don't think that we would have gotten swept. Um, now, you know, that's, take that with a grain of salt because it is what it is. But I just wanted to hear your take on, you know, if, um, you know, if what what's going on with the Yankees, is it, you know, not beneficial, but, you know, I would much rather it uh, happen now than, you know, going into uh, September, October, you know, the August months, the, uh, the drag days of, uh, of the baseball season. I just wanted to hear your take, Pat. You have a great day, brother. Thank you, man. You too, Anthony, and happy Easter. Thanks a lot. Uh, I agree with that because if you have to withstand injuries and they're part of the game and very, very, very few, if any teams nowadays, go through the entire 162-game season without having to deal with injuries, having to deal with them now, especially for a team like the Yankees that has a significant amount of talent outside of the players who are injured now, and and, and nobody huge has gone down. You know, Loisaga, that's a hit. He's one of their best arms in the bullpen. Um, this is going to sound a little insensitive, but it is what it is. You don't root for injuries. Obviously, you don't want to see any player injured. But I, and I said this yesterday, I think the Josh Donaldson injury is is good for the Yankees. I, I just think Josh Donaldson not being on the active roster is good for the Yankees. As soon as I saw him pull up running down the first baseline when he flew out the other day, my first thought was this is going to be good for them. And the reason it's good for them is because now everybody in their infield can know what their role is and play that role every single day when they come to the ballpark. DJ LeMahieu is very recently was a finalist for the American League MVP. He is a multiple-time All-Star. Uh, he's a professional, a longtime veteran in this league. The guy shouldn't be you know, jerked around like he's Ramiro Pena. One day you're at first, one day you're at second. Now we're going to play you at third. We'll DH you one day. Now you're not playing today because we have to play Josh Donaldson at third base. Look, Donaldson is still a solid glove. He was a good glove last year. He was even a good glove in the playoffs last season. But the guy's 37 years old, and I don't care about his contract at this point. This is a Yankees team that hasn't won or been to the World Series since 2009. You've got to put your best players out there. Glaber Torres, look what happened to him when they moved him from second base to shortstop. It screwed the guy up for two full years. He couldn't handle playing shortstop. The Yankees completely mismanaged that situation. They thought, okay, let's take this guy who his first two years was doing things that no Yankee had done at that point in his career since DiMaggio and Mantle. And they moved him to shortstop, and he went into the tank for two full years. Now, there was a lot of other stuff going on. That was 2020, and that was the COVID year and the 60-game season playing in front of empty ballparks. But he didn't bounce back in 2021 like a lot of people expected he would. And then they finally took him out of shortstop and put him back on second base late in 2021, and he's been better since. And this is the best he has looked. Glaber Torres deserves to have a position and play every day at second base. DJ LeMahieu is your third baseman. Anthony Volpe is your shortstop. Anthony Rizzo is your first baseman. And not having Josh Donaldson and having to shoehorn him into third base every day just makes things so much easier and so much more cohesive. Because the other thing about Donaldson, he's got no versatility, right? You're not. He only plays third base. And again, he plays a good third base. I'm not taking that away from him. But he only plays third base. 
You wouldn't want to DH Josh Donaldson because he can't hit. You might as well let the pitcher hit. Seriously. I mean, putting Donaldson at DH is a complete waste. If you're going to play him, you've got to play him at third base. So him not being on the active roster right now, I think, makes things better for Torres, makes things better for LeMayhew. I think they make things better for Boone. And we'll see if and when he is available to return to the active roster if he does. Have we seen the last of Donaldson and Pinstripes? I don't know. Look, Brian Cashman's history is he doesn't like to admit mistakes. See Aaron Hicks still being on this roster, although Hicks got a very big RBI single last night. But Donaldson kind of falls into that same bucket. But that has made things easier. I'll talk about the Cole thing. First, let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll get some more of your calls as well. 1-800-919-3776. Because our last caller also made a good point on Garrett Cole. And there's another athlete in this town who I would compare him to who's active right now. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Garrett Cole's fourth season in the Bronx. As we know... After the 2019 season, he signed a nine-year, $324 million contract as a free agent to come to the Yankees, paying him an average salary of $36 million a year. Got off to a clunky start because it was COVID in 2020, and the season was delayed. It was a 60-game regular season. But here are Cole's numbers in his four years with the Yankees. 2020, he made 12 starts. That's a full season over a 60-game year. He was 7-3 and three with a 2.84 earned run average. 2021, he was an all-star. He was 16-8 and eight with a 3.23, making 30 starts. Last year, an all-star again, 13-8, a 3.50 ERA, making 33 starts, which tied for the league lead. And so far, through two starts this season, he has thrown 12 and a third innings, allowed six hits, one earned run, and he has struck out 19 batters in those 12 and a third innings. He's 2-0 and with a 0.73 ERA. A lot, and we had a caller uh, last segment, Anthony, uh, made the point that he feels Cole is underappreciated. I completely agree with that point. And uh, his thought is that he's underappreciated because the Yankees haven't won a World Series. Look, baseball is it's the one sport where one guy is the least able to affect whether or not a team wins the World Series. I mean, it's just a fact. If you're a starting pitcher like Cole is, you take the ball once every five games. If you're a batter like Aaron Judge or Mike Trout is, you hit throughout the course of the game the same amount of times, mostly, as the number eight or the number nine hitter. It is evenly distributed among all nine players in the lineup all right if you're a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers you have the ball in your hands every offensive snap if you're a basketball player like Kevin Durant or Steph Curry and the game is tight in the fourth quarter you have the ball in your hands every single possession it's just not possible in baseball what sticks in the craw of Yankee fans was the wild card game in Fenway Park in 2021 and that was Cole's low moment as a Yankee when he was pulled with no outs in the third inning, having already allowed three earned runs and two home runs in two innings of work in the wild card game that the Yankees would ultimately lose to the Red Sox 6-2. to two. But if you look at Cole's numbers in the playoffs as a Yankee, 2020, seven innings, two runs. 
Six innings, three earned runs. And then in the ALDS game five, five and a third innings, one earned run allowed. A game in which the Yankees lost to Tampa Bay 2-1. to one. And I'm still wondering why Aaron Boone took Cole out after five and a third innings having only allowed one earned run. 2021 was the debacle in Fenway. Last year, against Cleveland, six and a third innings, one earned run. Again against Cleveland, six innings, two earned runs. And then against Houston, five innings, three earned runs. But if you remember, he gave up a big home run as after he had been pitching extremely well. And the reason for that was the inning was extended because there was miscommunication on a fly ball between Aaron Judge and Harrison Bader. They let it fall in, and the Astros, as they are wont to do, pounced on the Yankees' miscue and took advantage of that situation. Garrett Cole has pitched terrific in the regular season, and outside of the one start at Fenway Park in the wild card game in 2021, when, by the way, that was a dead Yankees team that wasn't going anywhere anyway, he has pitched well in the postseason. He takes the ball every five games. He doesn't miss a start. And for the most part, he performs when he is on the mound. And my comparison to Garrett Cole in this town is a guy who plays at Madison Square Garden, and even though he's injured right now, plays every single game and puts up numbers every single game. And that is number 30 for the New York Knickerbockers, Julius Randle. And the reason for that, we're up against a break. And I'll give my reason for that, or at least my perceived reason for that, as we continue. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York on this Sunday morning.